Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Welcome back to At Your Service. Brad Young in here with you until 10 o'clock. Hey, thanks for spending your uh, rainy Wednesday evening with us here on 1120. I want to finish up my thoughts about Will Smith before we move on to some other topics. I've gotten a lot of texts on this. Thank you very much. Had several phone calls. uh, And we've had even a a phone caller that didn't want to go on the air. And I've even gotten a couple of texts about this asking, what would I do if it were my wife who were insulted? And I think to some extent I've answered that, but I want to look at it from the cultural perspective, not my perspective, because this is what jumps out at me. I mean, obviously, uh, I would be the kind of guy that would step up and protect my wife. I would do that. But look at what culture says. I mean, today we're told that men are, I think the phrase is toxically masculine, toxic masculinity. That's what we're we're, we're told today is, is a real problem. And we're also told by our culture that women don't need men, that women don't need men, and, and even that women can be men. I mean, that's what we're told. So from a cultural perspective, should Will Smith take up for his wife? I mean, from my, from a Judeo-Christian standpoint, yes. But from a cultural standpoint, Wasn't he insulting his wife by standing up for her? Because that implies that she needs a man. And again, we don't even know what a woman is today. I mean, future Supreme Court Justice Ketanji Brown couldn't even describe what a woman is. She said, well, you have to be a biologist. I'm I'm not a biologist. I can't define what a woman is. So from a cultural standpoint, didn't Will Smith commit a cultural crime even if he did or didn't commit a legal crime, which I think he did. I'm not advocating that he be prosecuted for this. I was just pointing out in the last segment the difference between the treatment of a celebrity and the treatment of a non-celebrity. And I was pointing out the presence of privilege since that term is thrown around so much today. But in this instance, Will Smith had privilege due not because of race, but because of his celebrity status. And, and, and as our culture is just devolving, 
I don't even know if you can stand up for your wife today culturally because our culture doesn't even recognize and understand what a woman is and can't even define what it is. And then there's the comeback of, well, she had alopecia, and so that's going to make her bald. Hey, folks, I've been bald since I've been 19 years old. I, I lost my hair at 19. And uh, and I I constantly... I constantly make jokes at myself about being bald, but that that in of itself isn't a reason to say it's justifiable because if someone makes a bald joke, my wife's not going to go and punch them. She's probably going to make a joke right there with them. <laughs> so, uh, again, I've been suffering from baldness since age 19. So when you look at it from all of those different perspectives, I think it all comes down to, yes, there is privilege, and Will Smith has it. Lee's calling in this evening. Hey, Lee, welcome to KMOX. Thank you very much for taking my call. I'd like to make a comment as a professional school teacher of 35 years in St. Louis City. I was teaching a fifth grade class. This is going on 20 years ago. I taught 35 already total. And the girl gives me, you're welcome. The girl gives me a finger, the middle finger, as a uh, comment to one of my. classes. And I said, ma'am, you owe me a little respect as an elder, if not your teacher. Mm-hmm. And the, believe it or not, the principal did stand behind me because he, he knew I was a Navy SEAL and I didn't take a lot of baloney from kids, <laughs> even though I was an itinerary teacher. Thank you for the comment. Well, I just want to thank you for being a Navy SEAL. I mean, my goodness, sir, that that you, you have no idea how highly esteemed you are in my eyes just for being a Navy SEAL. And I don't know which would be more difficult, fighting off uh, 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 Chinese soldiers who are trying to attack Taiwan or teaching a fifth grade class. I mean, which do you think would be more difficult? Uh, Probably fighting the Chinese off. Oh, I I would uh, think the fifth grade class would be more challenging. (laughs) Well, believe it or not, I I had to become a Johnny, Johnny on the spot sometimes in class. And I entertain kids with the language abilities that I have. I do Spanish, German, Latin, and Greek. Wow. Amazing. Sir, thank you for your service, and uh, thanks thanks for your call. Thank you for taking my call. Mm, Have a good evening, sir. Wow. I would think that the uh, the fifth graders would be more formidable than... uh, and the Chinese invasion forces coming into Taiwan, if that would ever happen. Hey, coming up after the break, we're going to talk just a little bit about Bruce Willis. We're going to talk about Ronald Reagan and uh, more news of the day. Hey, stick around. We'll be right back. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 
I don't know if you remember this or not. I do. I was a kid. I remember it. On this day, March 30, 1981, President Ronald Reagan was shot. Again, I was a kid. I was in, just started high school. Uh, So that was a long time ago. But I remember it distinctly because, you know, growing up, I'd always read about the Kennedy assassination. It happened before I was born, of course. Um, But then we saw this Reagan, President Reagan getting shot. And I thought, this is... This is John F. Kennedy all over again, and thankfully it wasn't. But it was on this day in 1981, and, but here's what I remember and what really impressed me about President Ronald Reagan was that the, I guess the first thing is after it happened, he knew instinctively, not because he was an actor, but he knew instinctively it was important to convey to his family and even just as importantly to the country that he was going to be okay. And he did that through humor. That's to me what was so impressive. Here's a guy that gets shot and he's cracking jokes, not to be funny. No one's going to be laughing when the president of the United States still has a bullet in his side, but he was doing that as a way to convey, I'm okay. We're going to be okay. The country is going to be okay. And, and I remember reading that the first thing he said uh, to Nancy Reagan uh, when she arrived at the hospital was, honey, I forgot to duck. And, <laughs> you know, that's a, to me, and again, I'm sure she didn't laugh. She was horrified that her husband had just been shot. But yet he used humor in a way that was not just charming, but effective as a leader. It was fantastic. It was a fantastic uh, example of leadership in action. And and the other line that I remember when he was being wheeled into surgery, the first thing he said was before they put the mask on him to put him to sleep, he I, as I recall, he said to the surgeon, please tell me you're all Republicans. And, of course, he didn't care whether they were Republicans or not. That wasn't the point. But, again, the point was to use humor to convey that it's okay, that it's not going to be a problem. And, and, and as I was reading about this story today, uh, the other comment that he said uh, after he came out of surgery, he asked his doctors if they could be if he could be sent to Los Angeles. And I'm quoting where I can see the air I'm breathing. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Uh, but but think about how that's like a master class in leadership 101. Say what you will about President Reagan, a lot of folks didn't like him. Uh, personally, he, I, he was my favorite president that I've ever uh, lived through. But yet he used that humor, and he was a, he was truly a leader in every sense of the word, whether you liked him or whether you didn't like him. And, and I'm remembering how he would go and meet with Tip O'Neill, who at the time was the Speaker of the House. And they would go back into the proverbial back room And they would come out and they would both make compromises, but they got things done. And that was a time in politics where opposition could actually work with the other side, that that Congress people and the president could work with the opposition to move the country forward. But we've lost that today as an element of leadership, both on the right and on the left. This is not a partisan position. And I tend to think that it's because 
folks on the right are playing to the Fox News crowd. Folks on the left or the or the uh, politicians on the left are playing to the MSNBC crowd. And because of that, there can't be any compromise. There cannot be any position that says, okay, I'll give on this if you'll give on that. And that's why you see, at least intellectually, philosophically, there's such a move to try to capture that middle today. But we just heard in the top of the hour news that uh, there was an independent going to run for the U.S. Senate from Missouri. He was backed by John Danforth. And he backed out of the race after he just joined in February and he bowed out today. So there's just unfortunately no position today for politicians who can actually get things done. You know, it's not a victory if you go down and defeat, but you but you didn't move off of your principles if you can't give a little bit to reach a compromise. And I, I do that every single day in my job as an attorney. Uh, I represent companies getting sued, and every one of my clients wants me to get out of the case for zero. But sometimes they do owe money. And so you give a little here and you give a little there and you make it go away. That spirit of compromise is unfortunately missing today. The other topic that I want to mention before this segment gets away, and you heard it on the top of the hour news, but but Bruce Willis, uh, his family announced today, of course, as you've heard, uh, that he is going to retire from acting. And he's been diagnosed with a degenerative brain condition called aphasia. And it's interesting if you look at aphasia, and I've dealt with this uh, professionally before, just in the context of litigating personal injury cases that I've seen individuals with aphasia before, and it affects folks primarily in their avenue of of being able to remember and also being able to communicate, whether that is speaking, hearing, remembering, and understanding. And that's the heart of aphasia. And it's interesting that if you look at the movies, and I didn't know that he had aphasia, but my daughter and I just just last week were talking about how the last 10 or 15 movies that Bruce Willis has made were awful movies because he would only be in the movie for about 10 minutes. And then the rest of the movie was actors you've never seen. And, and if you watch any of these recent movies, you'll, you'll know why you've never seen those actors because they're not very good. And the, I think the budget's about $17.82 to make the movie. And all of that went to pay for Bruce Willis's name, and he's in the movie for about 10 minutes. That sums up every movie he's made since 2015. So I didn't know that he was doing those movies because of aphasia. I just thought it was a way to make money in a movie and not have to work very much. But now we, we understand why. But to, to give Bruce Willis credit, you know, when you think of Bruce Willis, you think of Die Hard. And going back, my goodness— 15 years now, I've had an email battle with Joe Holloman at the Post-Dispatch. I've known Joe for a long time, and we email each other every Christmas, and he issues his list of top Christmas movies every year, and then I write him back and I say, Joe, unfortunately, you forgot to include Die Hard again this year on your list of top Christmas movies. And then he would write me back. We'd go back and forth about whether Die Hard's a Christmas movie, and I just enjoyed the, the arguing about it. But but I did pull these two clips today because these are the quintessential lines from Die Hard movies that just make you think fondly of Bruce Willis. Hey, 
Go to the coast. We'll get together. Have a few laughs. And then this one. She just killed a helicopter with a car. How's that, bullets? <laughs> now, that one was kind of hard to hear. I think that was from Die Hard 4, uh, Live Free or Die Hard. That's the one where the computer hacker brings down the country, and they, they were shooting at him and uh, uh, him and his computer nerd buddy in the car and, from a helicopter. And so Bruce Willis in the movie drives the car off a ramp and takes out the helicopter with a car. And then when he's asked about it, he says, I was out of bullets. I mean, that, when you hear that, it just makes you laugh at Bruce Willis. And he even did a skit. I was going to pull this up today, and I, I was too busy to get to this. But th- there was a skit when he was on Saturday Night Live where it was, a, it was like a, it's a Navy SEALs training. They were getting ready for, for uh, going in on a mission. And Bruce Willis was on the show, and he was one of the soldiers. And the, uh, the, the military commander was briefing the soldiers on SNL about how they were going to go in and get the terrorists. And Bruce Willis was, was interrupting the commander, and, and basically his line was, wait, I don't understand. Why don't you just kick in the door and say, hey, did somebody order a pizza? And then start shooting it up. Well, of course, that's your... That's like every Bruce Willis movie, but um, uh, but I'm sorry that he has aphasia. I, I wish him well, uh, but uh, uh, in his honor, in his honor, go watch one of the Die Hard movies. In fact, watch either the first one, the second one, or the fourth one. You can kind of skip the rest of them because they're they're not as good. But the first, the second, and the fourth are absolutely the best in the series. But if you've got some thoughts on Bruce Willis. I'd like to hear it. 314-436-7900. Call or text Brad Young at your service. We're going to head to a break, but we'll be right back. Don't go away. Well, in between uh, talking about what's going on in Ukraine and uh, talking about releasing oil from the Strategic Oil Reserve, which is a preposterous idea, uh, President Biden actually found some time this week to talk about uh, at least one element of his domestic policy, and that is in next year's budget, in his budget request for 2023. President Biden said that he would include what he called a billionaire tax to generate tax revenue from the extremely wealthy. Now, it's not really a billionaire tax. It applies, according to the proposal, uh, if you have assets of $100 million or more. And I, and I know ostensibly that sounds like a great idea for a lot of reasons. First of all, chances are you don't have $100 million. I know I don't. You probably don't either. And most people don't have $100 million sitting around. So it makes it easy for the people who don't have that to say, you know, the folks that have $100 million, they should pay more money. That sounds good. And uh, but it, it is such a bad idea for many, many reasons. But I'm just going to list three for you why this so-called wealth tax is a bad idea. First of all, it's not just a tax. If you look at the details, this is a tax on what's called unrealized gains. What does that mean? That means if Mr. Moneybags has $100 million sitting in a stock market account in stocks, 
then they can be taxed on the value of those stocks, even though the stocks haven't been sold. That's what an unrealized gain is. If you bought Amazon stock for $10 a share and it's now worth $30,000 a share, but you don't sell the stock, that's called an unrealized gain. So when you look at Jeff Bezos or if you look at Bill Gates or all of these billionaire types, most of their wealth is in what's called unrealized gains. So, and I know it can get dull and boring when you're talking about economic issues, but I'm going to make this easy because I want to get these three ideas out this segment because even though it sounds good, it's this is not only a bad idea, but it's blatantly unconstitutional, blatantly unconstitutional. And let me kind of briefly hit those points for you. Uh, unrealized gains. Let me give you an example of something that you can relate to. Have you checked the value of your house recently on Zillow? Of course you have. If you've got a house, if you own your own house, I can almost promise you, if you use computers in any serious way, you've gone to Zillow.com to look at the value of your house. And I can also promise you something else. The value of your house has gone up. All houses have, unless your house is on fire, the, the value has increased. So if you bought your house for $100,000 and now your house is worth $200,000, you have a $100,000 unrealized gain. How would you like to be taxed on that gain on your house? That's not money in your pocket. Just because the value of your house has gone up $100,000, does that mean you've got one hundred k in your wallet right now? Of course you don't. It's in the house. Anyone that understands, uh, if, if you've ever watched uh, It's a Wonderful Life, you understand that concept that there's a, a value in a house, and it has value, but that doesn't mean that it's money in your pocket. You can have a house and own and have no mortgage on your house, but until you sell that house, you may not be able to go eat a meal. You may not be able to buy a cheeseburger at McDonald's, and yet you could own a $200,000 home. That's an unrealized gain. So it's a bad idea for Washington to tax an unrealized gain because that's not money that you have at your fingertips. You know, it's easy to say, well, you made hundred grand this year, we're going to tax you at 30%, so you owe $30,000 in taxes. That's money you've got coming in. But if it's an unrealized gain, you don't have access to that cash. Just like your house going up in value doesn't mean you can suddenly eat dinner, eat a steak at the Capitol Grill in Clayton just because your house went up in value. No, you cannot do that. But also, if you think about this, the Biden administration has said they're just going after billionaires. Well, it's not just billionaires. It's anyone with $100 million. So it's millionaires in addition to billionaires. But this is also the same administration that last year wanted to add 80,000 new IRS agents, 80,000 new IRS agents. And do you think all of those 80,000 IRS agents were only going to be going after billionaires? No, they're going to be going after you and they're going to be coming after me. So that's why this idea of a billionaire's tax 
is just a bad idea. Secondly, secondly, the reason why this is a bad idea, it's never going to pass the Senate. I mean, Joe Manchin just today, in fact, said that he's going to, there's no way he's going to vote for this. So legislatively, it's not going to pass through the Senate. But Biden is going to base his budget on it. Why? Because he can then say to the progressives, look how much I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to stick it to Bezos. I'm trying to stick it to Bill Gates. I'm trying to make I'm trying to make Warren Buffett pay his fair share. So even though he knows it's not going to pass through Congress, he's still going to stick with it to make the progressives happy. And, oh, it's making the progressives happy, whether it's AOC or Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders. They're thrilled with this idea of sticking it to the billionaires, even if it's not going to pass through Congress. And there's a third reason it's unconstitutional. But before we get to that, Jim's been holding for a while. Hey, Jim, welcome to Camel X. Well, just as you started to say why you actually say why you thought it was a bad idea, I called. So I missed part of what you said. You, you said it was a bad idea and you were starting to give some reasons, but then you just went on to sort of explain exactly how the tax is going to work. Yep. And I was giving the example, Jim, I was giving the example of your house, that when your house goes up in value, that's an unrealized gain, but it doesn't mean that that's money in your pocket. It just means that you have an asset that hasn't been sold yet, and you shouldn't be able to tax an asset that doesn't equate to money in your pocket. But go ahead. What's well, on your mind? Well, we'll just, well, I mean, we can, uh, we can disagree on this, but I'll tell you the reason why I think it, it is not a bad idea. And I don't know exactly how it's going to work, but um, A, uh, 100K is not 100M. We're not talking 100K. We're not talking about everybody who owns a house. We're talking people that have $100 million worth of whatever it is, okay? okay. And so then you can't tell me that, I mean, I'm not saying that I would want to do it. I don't envy them having to do it, but you can't tell me that they can't somehow or another access some of that money in order to pay a small tax on it. And then the third thing is, soybeans actually is, I can't convince myself that it's a bad idea. It's a great idea, and it has worked really well. But at this point, there has to be some sort of a, like an antithesis to soybean soybeans actually, because it's keeping wages way too low. It makes corporations constantly trying to cheat and rip off the employees which then makes the employees not want to work. So at this point, we need some sort of an answer to Sorbanes-Oxley to not necessarily keep people from putting money in the, in the market, but to, to get something back out of that all those all that uh, all that uh, 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 prosperity, all, all those assets to go into the market because it just goes in the market and they ship it out of the country. That's our gross national product that's going out of the country instead of being reinvested in in workers. That's why I think it, it, it could be an okay idea. Okay, those are some great examples, Jim. I uh, appreciate you calling in this evening. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Hey, Steve, uh, your question, why protect billionaires? Well, that's a fair statement. I step up and do things that normal people don't do. They have hundreds of people working for them, and I'm wondering why we don't step up our tax 
situation on them because of it when we're talking about income taxes. I'm not talking about tax on what they already own. I'm talking about when they come up and they're playing the part of a small government, they're playing the part of a completely different individual than what we have in the rest of this situation compared to the rest of us. I like your program. I, I, uh, I'm a dying hard Democrat. I love talking to you um, and listening to you, but I really think there's a fine medium there that I'll concede some points about, yeah, everybody should pay some taxes. I really think that if you're like broke as hell, you should still pay taxes because this is the best Mm -hmm. country in the world. I want it to succeed, but where you're stepping up and you're a different person and you're actually an institution, I think that you should pay more taxes. And I'm in the middle of it. I, I do pretty well in my life. Good. And I should, and I and I I thank everybody for doing that. But you know, the better you do, the more you should pay. Well, I, I, I don't disagree with that. But here's what I want to ask you, and and I completely agree with you, Steve. Uh, about, uh, you know, giving a little and give, getting a little and giving a little. I know my friends, my conservative friends think I'm too moderate. My liberal friends think I'm too conservative. So I always figure I'm right in the right spot. But here's my question. How much, and, and the phrase I hear it used all the time, Steve, that the wealthy should pay their fair share of taxes. How much is their fair share? I, I think at the higher levels of income, I don't feel it's oppressive to charge a higher level. Well, that's what you know we mean, have the, now. The, the, we, we have that system now. But how high is fair? I mean, in other words, what is a fair share? Because the stats that I'm looking at, Steve, is that as of 2019, the top 0.1% of wage earners paid more taxes each year than the bottom 80% of wage earners. Is that enough? No, we're really talking about the one percent top, aren't we? Right, and that's and what the this 1% is. The one percent top, and that's exactly what we're addressing. The one percent top. I don't. I mean, I know a lot of rich people. I'm sure you do too. I don't know anybody in that regiment. I really don't. And and for that bunch, they really are operating as small governments. I really believe that. But as of, I think the top. One percent of wage earners pay almost fifty percent of all income taxes. Now I may have those slightly off, and I'm going to try to find those during the break, Steve. But the wealthy are paying their fair share. What's not happening? What what what's not happening is what you mentioned a few minutes ago. In fact, I just read this stat yesterday. For last year, fifty-seven percent of all Americans paid zero in income tax. Is that fair? Well, in the, in the current situation, I think it is. Because really? if you look, well, I do. I, I think everybody should pay taxes. I, I absolutely believe that. But they set up the program, and they said, let's look at what everybody did for the year of the past. I mean, a lot of people lost like 40 50% of their income because of COVID. It's a weird year to talk about any of this. I'll totally grant you whether I'm talking about raising the rates for the top 1% or for lowering it for the last 50%. Totally agree with that. But we're we're in an inflationary index. 
We know we're going to war or we're paying for a war if we're not going to go to a war. We have to pay for it. And if you have 1% making this ridiculous amount over everybody else, I don't think it's unreasonable to call them out and say you're going to pay at a different rate. That's Mm -hmm. just my opinion. I may be wrong. Steve, I appreciate your opinion. That's what I love about At Your Service is that we get to share our opinions, and thank you for sharing yours. Thank you for your show. I appreciate you letting me talk to a bit about Great, that. Steve. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Uh, we're going to come up here on a break here, but let me just end this idea with this thought. I just looked up the numbers. The most recent numbers were for 2018. The top 1% of wage earners paid 40% of all income tax. So the top 1% paid 40% of all income taxes. The top 5% of wage earners paid 60% of all income taxes. The top 5%. Now, you know someone who's in the top 5%. I'm sure you do. Uh, I I know people who are in that top 5% bracket. And the top 5% of wage earners paid 60% of all income tax. So the question when we get into these issues is how much is enough? What's the fair share? And we never hear that defined. And you don't want to know why? Because if it's ever defined, then you can no longer move the goalposts. Hey, when we come back from this break, I'm going to give you the third reason why Biden's wealth tax can't work. It's because it's unconstitutional. And I will lay that out for you very simply here on At Your Service. Don't go away. Congress was trying to uh, tax you on the increased value of your home. You'd be under pressure, too. That's what you would feel. I know. It's a corny joke based on the song Under Pressure. Listen, I'm a dad. I get to make corny jokes. That's what dads do. Uh, Also, another thing that dads do is they go to kegs and eggs. Listen, that's on April 7. You've heard of it. It's famous here in St. Louis. Camo X Kegs and Eggs. If you'd like to go... Uh, it's on April 7, right before the home opener. Go to camox.com right now, and you can find out all you need to know about getting tickets. I'll be there at Kegs and Eggs on April 7. But I want to get to this last point because this idea of a wealth tax where you can be taxed on your unrealized gains, it's not just about who pays their fair share. We can have an honest debate about that. But when you're talking about uh, unrealized gains, whether it's the value of stocks that haven't been sold or the value of a home that hasn't been sold, that not only is a bad idea, that concept not only will it not pass Congress, but thirdly and most importantly, it's unconstitutional. It's not even a close call. I looked into this today. I did some quick legal research. Look up and listen. We've all got Google, right? Google Article 1, Section 2 of the Constitution. Just Google that, Article 1, Section 2. Here's what it says. It says that all taxes have to be uh, apportioned by the states. Now, what does that mean? That means that if you're going to, under the Constitution, levy a tax, it has to be levied in proportion to the state's population. So, For example, if California constitutes 12% of the U.S. population, then under a direct tax, Californians would have to pay 12% of an apportioned tax. That's that's from the federal government now, not the states. So obviously you're thinking, well, that's not done. Nobody does that. 
Well, of course they don't do that because the Constitution was amended uh, in 19, I think it was 1909, uh, which was the 16th Amendment. And the reason why the 16th Amendment was necessary is because the Constitution did not allow a federal income tax because it's a direct tax. And if you look at the wording of the 16th Amendment, it only allows Congress to tax income. Well, an asset is not income unless you sell it. So if you buy a house for 100000 and you sell it for 200000 you've made a $100,000 profit. That can be taxed because that is a profit. That is income to you. And under the 16th Amendment, you can be taxed. But except for income, the federal government cannot tax you. They cannot directly tax you. So not only is this a bad idea, not only will this concept not pass, but if it's ever challenged in court, which it has been, and I'm not going to go through the details of these cases, most notably Eisner versus Macomber in 1920 was one that I found, Commissioner versus Glenshaw Glass in 1955. I could go through those, but they're not that interesting. But the idea is, is that these cases to the Supreme Court stand for the proposition that the 16th Amendment only allows for the taxation of income. So when you hear President Biden and you hear AOC and you hear even uh, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren today was crowing about this idea of a wealth tax. It was a great idea. Bernie Sanders has floated this idea many times because they want to take from the rich. They want to be Robin Hood. They want to take it from the rich. And it's not about being fair. It's not about paying your fair share. In this instance, it's literally, can you own property? Can you own property? Because if you have property and you don't sell it, theoretically, the government can take it away from you. And so that's, that's a serious, serious problem. And so that's why I give you that example of the house so you understand the concept of unrealized gains. So when you hear, and you'll hear it, trust me, in the coming days and weeks, as President Biden's out on the campaign trail and pushing this idea of a wealth tax, I just want you to remember that it's not going to pass Congress. There's no way it's going to get through the Senate. But most importantly, most importantly, it's simply unconstitutional. But as we talked about earlier with Hans von Spakovsky, whether it's legal or not really doesn't factor into the equation. They're not going to let a good law get in the way of advancing a policy initiative, which in this instance means we're just going to skip that whole Article 1, Section 2 of the Constitution. Forget about it. It's just an old piece of paper that was written to over 200 years ago. Who cares? We need to stick it to the rich. Well, whenever that money runs out, they'll be coming for you, I promise you. Hey, stick around. Coming up at 10 o'clock, we've got the best of Dave Glover's show here on Camo X St. Louis. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.